The Things We All Carry is a podcast about first responders and their stories surrounding trauma on the job. The intention of this podcast is to raise awareness and share meaningful conversation around a subject often viewed as taboo or simply ignored. Be aware this content may be graphic and it is real. It may not be suitable for children or adults triggered by this subject matter. Welcome to another episode of The Things We All Carry. In this world of podcasts and social media, there are a few pages and names that I recognize for what they are. Multiple Calls Podcast is one that I have followed for a while now and aligns with many of my thoughts. This week, I was awarded the opportunity to sit and have a conversation with Scott. Scott has been a firefighter for 24 years as well as a medic. His page and his podcast are dedicated to continuing and bettering fire traditions and the service as a whole. I first heard of Scott and Multiple Calls when I read his 50 Rules for the Senior Firefighter, an extensive yet not exhaustive list of rules that can guide a firefighter as he or she progresses into the longevity of a fire career. Scott's work has grown to include the 25 Rules for the Fire Service Instructor and his new project, The Connected Warrior. We spend time discussing all three, but spend the majority of the time with The Connected Warrior. A huge thanks to Scott for taking time from his busy schedule to sit down and spend time talking with me. It never ceases to amaze me when people are this generous with their time. A quick reminder to please help us build a community which not only recognizes, but supports each other through the struggles and recovery. Reach out through Instagram at the things we all carry or email my story at the things we all carry.com to offer support and share your story. Please remember to leave a review on iTunes and give a shout out to any first responder you know, love, or care about. Y'all enjoy the show. Scott Hewlett, how you doing? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me. Oh man, thanks for coming on. This is an honor and I, I'm happy to have you. So if maybe you can go into a little bit of your background, where you're from, how you grew up, what you're doing yeah. now, and then we'll get into it. Sure. I'm in Ontario, Canada. I grew up in a small town. Mom and dad and a younger sister, pretty standard childhood, all just giving away my age, pre-internet and pre-phones and social media and all that. So it was like a lot of people I would talk to my age group, but it was a lot of playing outside and trying to stay out of trouble and a lot less helicopter parenting that tends to go on now. Yeah. So school wasn't great for me. There was a lot of bullying and that I didn't find school that tough. Like I, I found the academic side pretty easy, but as it went on through high school, I tended to maybe Try a little less hard, just trying to maybe fit in. And that was a, like, a life lesson too, as I went on there. I talk now about not letting people steal a day or career away from you. And I think back school years and maybe that school years were stolen from me where I could have just focused more on school and had that tighter inner circle or more self-awareness or self-compassion and it would have gone a different way. But when you're a kid, you don't really have that, that 30,000 foot view yet and pure pressure and. People around you is really important to you. And then all, like people do say when they look back, it all shaped you who you are today and why you're doing what you're doing. So I find just even getting into the job, like that was really where my, not only just for my parents and their upbringing and the caring and compassion you had for me, but that made me a very caring, compassionate person for especially people that were in need or underdogs or yeah, needing help. It obviously all sort of drove me to where I am. So I'm not going to look back on it poorly, all poorly, but it was difficult. Yeah, as far as getting into the fire service, I've worked since I was 13. I had your, your basic job. You get a hardware store and a local bowling alley, you know, to do with the kit around a small town. And then a buddy of mine and I am getting into ski patrolling at our local ski resort, a small hill. It's on a mountain. It's more of a hill than a mountain. But basically, just because we wanted to ski for free, we really couldn't afford to buy passage every single year. And then just found out that it was great right outside your you're helping people out and I found I was drawn to it. And then my dad was on the same department I'm on now. He never really pushed on me, but I was always there as an option. So I think eventually those two things came together and I realized that it was the direction for me is where I was supposed to be. So it got me excited and what I wanted to be involved with. Sort of going down the path of the process of hiring and, and testing and all that. There was a hiring freeze. I started when I was 19 trying to get on. Didn't really have much at that point and a few interviews made that clear I ended up traveling actually down to Florida and went to the community college in St. Petersburg and got my EMT basic down there and then eventually wrote the national exam before I came back home and at that point one of the departments the department was now they called me back and said hey are you still interested in the job and of course I took them up on it 
Yeah. So I started in 98 and then uh, I was supposed to start to get my paramedic diploma up here. So which I only had the one from the state. So I was to be accredited and work up here. I was actually scheduled to accepted to be in September of 98, but I deferred that because I got, I got the job in July. And then I promised myself that I would go back to school full time to get that. Cause I wanted to do both jobs. I wanted to be involved in both jobs as a medic and a firefighter. I'm maybe hoping on the way that I'd be able to be, maybe do a paramedic thing or just do both jobs separately. So yeah, when I became first class a few years later, I went back to school, I used all my vacation, all my loo days, ship changes, and just, I was young and I had time and sleep really wasn't a thing. So I could just go work school, work school, work school, and eventually got that done. And then I worked part-time as a medic years. And then before my oldest daughter was born, decided that I was going to be a little too much, just working so many shifts and they're starting to ask for more and more. So I ended up letting that go and focusing on fire. And then throughout my fire career, I've spent time instructing in Yamar and fire skills and my fire writs here and there. I spent some time in the training division for three and a half years. And I spent quite a long time on our career team too. Then the arc of from childhood and growing up to being involved in the department and what I've been involved in since I got on. So that's what is 24 years in? Well, yeah, it's only 24. Yeah. And I know we, I think I've mentioned this before, either on posts or on podcasts or in my own, I kind of, I get why we talk about how many years you've been on. Like it's kind of a metric, but at the same time, I think you and I both know it's kind of not right. I know people do ask like how long you've been on. Cause I guess being on one year or 24 years, there is some different, right? You have had a different experience, but I think we both know that if you do the same crappy first year 24 times, it doesn't really mean anything. And I've had, as you go on and if you are paying attention to yourself and your career, you realize that it is true. It's not cliche that the more stuff you focus on and try, try and learn, the more you realize what you really don't know. So you get, you should get more and more humbled as you go on. You get more and more expectation and responsibility put on you. Yeah. I'm glad I going into the training division really woke me up that way. Like I was, I did always have a good work ethic. I did always love the job. Oh, team. But when you went, when I went into the training division, I had that, wow, I really had to dive into things because I was teaching a number of modalities, not say just the medical side, which I was very comfortable with. And I realized what I should have known for all those years and what maybe stuff I got lucky at calls where I should have done this, I should have done that, but for luck that I got through it. So that was really a, an eye-opening experience that blood drained from your head. Oh, this is what this is. And then I really started to dive deep into what this is about. And I had the option to go to FDIC and I had the opportunity to take Donaldson forward. And it was just this, the floodgates open for me. And I've just been trying to play catch up ever since. So where, where are you riding now? What's your position now? I've been a two truck haul. I've spent most of my careers, most of my career at two truck hauls. And right now we have a, what you guys would call an engine and a ladder and call it a pump or an aerial. Okay. And we rotate through every position. I'm a back, I ride back step. I haven't promoted and have my reasons why that is. And we rotate through all the positions, other positions other than that captain spot. So we drive and we rotate between truck, both spots on the back. There are roles on the trucks, wherever you are and on the apparatus. So we have to be a bit of a jack of all trade master, hopefully a couple, but the ladders, like all our ladders have water on the hose on them. So we don't have engines and trucks, right? So technically I do engine work and I do truck work. And then some days I could be on the move or do a ship change on my squad. Right. So you really do have to pay attention and there's pros and cons, right? You do get more experience in a lot of different areas, but you do have such a massive amount of things to stay good at where you do really see the benefit of what I see is more of the, the majority of American models. You're on the engine, you're on the, you're not perfect that and you know exactly when you get off. And I think there's. The more and more I look at it, the more I think that beneficial, but this model definitely keeps you on your toes. It's funny you say that because in my department, we're assigned to a unit and, but we get what we call details. So we'll get sent somewhere that they need to you know, basically put an ass in a seat and yeah. you've got to be ready. Like you said, to switch gears and you go in one day thinking you're going to ride to heavy rescue. And then the next minute you're riding the bucket position and you're pulling a line for the day. And that's what happened to me. I was like, okay, I'm going in, I'm going to ride this and then and go in to find out, no, I'm going to go ride an engine and I'm riding in, like you said, the back step of an engine and now I'm going over my head. Okay. Now I got to switch gears. Now I got to remember which line am I pulling first? What am I doing? And then it also goes into simple things because we're a combined system fire and EMS. So it goes into, I got to think about my EMS skills as well. And 
I'm switching gears because we're doing more EMS on the engine than I ever do on the rescue. Right. Yeah. If you're bored, it's your own fault. Exactly. Even driving the trucks, right? I could drive the flood or drive the aerial or drive the pump. Those are all different. Oh, yeah. It's all different mentalities. So it does. Yeah. I don't understand how guys or girls and guys in general can be bored or, or not be excited to be in or switched on because there's just so much to, to pay attention to. So. I was reading it's enough to try and keep up. I was reading through your bio on your website and you talk of the, uh, the senior firefighter that you first experienced on your, I think it was on your first shift, you said, and mm-hmm. the thing he told you was to, or he recommended was to take a journal of all the, and that, and the happenings around the department or the station, because then it, the point being that there would be stories to tell and you even say, that, and we all carry them and which jumped out at me, especially since sure. the name of the podcast is the things we all carry. Have you done that? Have you written that stuff down? No, I think I, in that write-up, there was some mention of it. And of course, I didn't do it, right? So it was like looking back. It's one of the things I should have done. I've never really been one to journal, even though I definitely see the benefit of it. But yeah, I think we do definitely, there are stories that still stay with you and you carry it. Your summer hard and difficult process and even last night at the hall, right? We happen to have a certain combination of people last night and, we're, and we got talking about a call we were on that was, was funny in some ways and a little bit concerning in others. And just after dinner, like we just ended up telling the story and it was great. It was a great fire hall moment, right? That seems cliche, but you're there, you're eating dinner together and you're talking and telling stories and the learning and the laughs and the lessons that come out of it are all awesome. And I think that's part of the driver of the podcast too, right? Is this idea to capture stories and to help tell stories and to lay things down that are permanent. So maybe for me, it's not as much in written form, but it's more in the verbal. So for me, the podcast is as much a journal for myself as it is for allowing other people to, to lay down their stories and there it is. And people can listen and learn from them as they learn. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the podcast. What's tell people the name of it, tell them what the go a little more in depth on what you're doing there and let's get sure. people, let's get some traction there. Sure. Yeah. I called a multiple calls. I had, I guess the backup, I, when I was in the training division teaching recruit classes, a few people had mentioned, have you thought about writing a book or you know, should you do a podcast? And I didn't really even, I knew of podcasts, but I really wasn't into them. At that point, I lived very close to work, so I didn't have these long drives commuting where I was going to be needing to fill time. So it was more so that seed got dropped in my mind. And then when I moved farther away from work and was commuting about an hour or so, that I wanted to make use of that drive time and not just put it off, put on music. So I started seeking out podcasts and found a few that I really enjoyed and the style of them. And then obviously, wow, are there any firefighting podcasts? So I did a search and found a couple and there weren't a lot at that point. And then initially you kind of had that feeling like, oh, someone's already doing this, missed the boat again, right? Someone <laughs> had the thought too late and someone's already doing it. But the more I listened and the more actually talked to a couple of people that were doing them, I realized, well, I think I can be a seat at the table here. I, there's something I can bring that's not treading over the same path that they've already done. Like why redo what they're doing in a great way, I thought I could bring something unique here. I can add to the conversation. There's plenty of room in the pool. and. Now to see more and more podcasts coming up, the more I see, the better I think it is. Like I, I love sharing other podcasts that are out there and other episodes. Really, that's what the IG page is. A lot of is when you scroll through everything that's on there. It's that's me, right? Me putting myself out there. Like I don't have a personal page anymore, but it, things that resonate with me, things that I think are important, things that I think have helped shape me. So I think this might also benefit someone else out there. So that's why I put it. But yeah, just to back up. So when I moved farther north and I was commuting and also I had a friend, I have friends up here and brothers and the one brother husband had a studio or still has the studio in his basement and, and everything was right there. So it was there's no excuses, right? It was all laid up before me and say, here's an opportunity if you want to do this. And then I just decided to start, start with friends and got people on the department that I know and comfortable speaking with them. And I just love the fact that you can put something out there and you don't, it's no one forced to listen to it. You can create it and put it together how you want. I see them as kind of like pieces of, it's almost like a piece of art or a gift to the people that I'm recording with. Here is something that you can be proud of. I want you to be really happy with this and cherish this and it's like a document for you and looking back and even recording with my dad, I did an episode with my dad. And obviously that was pretty special on a number of levels. Yeah, that's what it's been about. I called a multiple call. I think on the, the website, website, I describe that as being, when we hear that term, and it, you, I still do hear it used now and then about when you're going on the run and 
it's more likely to be something legitimate, right? Well, there's multiple calls on there, so it's something legitimate. So it's something we get excited about. And then we talked briefly just before about years on and experience. And for me, multiple calls is what experience is built on. And I mean, you can go to multiple calls and not be paying attention and not know very much. You really don't know what you're looking at, so you're not going to get the most out of it. But if you do are paying attention, you are in the game and you are starting to trying to learn. When you go on a lot of calls, you can pull a lot from that. So that's what experience came from, real experience. So that's kind of why the name landed the way it did. And then I was doing everything on my own for the first few years and the editing and the look of it and had some help with friends taking pictures that I could use to, to, for the look of the podcast. And now that's grown. There's Matt Plutz of Premium Mix Marketing has stepped up and has been helping me so much as part of the team for the look of the podcast and the, the feel of it. And he's a volunteer in Southern Ontario as well. And same with Brad Shea in a different department. But he's doing all the editing. He does a fantastic job. Like we just organically, these really good people that were are like tribe, they're like friend, they're friends and family. They just it just came together. And then more recently with Haley Green and structuring logistically, like the scheduling for these webinars we started doing, and more stuff on the website. And she's going to be helping out with social media too, and working with Matt. So the whole thing is just kind of like growing in this organic way where it hasn't been forced. I've never wanted to feel like a job or like I have to do it. I've always wanted to be enjoyable and pace it properly and not worry about it. Obviously you want to grow it so people can get access to it and to use these amazing stories that people have to tell, but it's never been a driving factor for me to go viral and become no, no for any of those reasons. I just think I really want to stick to this energy that this vibe, the, the foundation behind it is just keep doing it for the reasons why you started and that if it's meant to be and it's meant to grow, it will. So I think we're just good with maintaining that pace. And we're just looking to keep it creative and keep it fun and keep it meaningful. That, that, uh, that growth, that organic growth. And if it's meant to be, it'll grow. And if it's not really chasing it, those are wise words for someone who, to somebody thinking to start it first an Instagram page or, or a community or a podcast It's once you start chasing, you, like you said, it becomes a job and it becomes, I don't know, I, you start to look at it as a job and it's not a passion anymore. And that chasing it is really key because I had someone who runs a different podcast tell me, don't even look at your numbers. Don't look at the downloads. And, and we all do. We all look at our downloads because we're interested in seeing what they are. But his advice was sure. don't because that's not what you're at. You just want to get your content out there. Yeah. And Matt's been really great at uh, reframing that for me uh, along the way. I end up talking about it and I've had a, a number of people regularly will be messages, maybe I would say monthly of people that have been impacted by it and have great, got great value out of it. And it's been helpful and they're encouraging, but it's been helpful to them. The content's been enjoyable. And Matt was saying, that's what you need to hang your hat on. And also had another friend say very pointedly, you have a few of these people reaching out to you. So you have to imagine all the people that feel the same way that are reaching out to you just because they just don't, they just don't do it. Right? It's just, they don't feel the urge to do that or feel like Maybe you won't respond for whatever reason. They're just right. not putting it down in words, but it's happening around you. And again, we're all of us that are trying to do this for the right reasons. We're, yeah, we're all benefiting people in small ways. And whether they listen to you or they listen to me or all of them, it doesn't make a difference. It's just everyone, we got to just keep this momentum moving forward. And it's just really a medium in this fast paced society and the way it is and things are changing, I think almost incumbent on us. It's like a responsibility for us to, yeah. to keep this proper energy moving forward and honor the people that have done the work for us. This is almost part of the work that we have as our generation, very forward next generation. The other word so, you, the other word you used in that, that, that statement above was tribe. And I love the word tribe. It's such a good way to put it. It's family, but it's, it tribe is a little bit more than family. I think even it's a, it, it's a larger umbrella even. Very, yeah, very much. I think we can all agree. There's a great thing I've shared a few times and it resonates with me is don't expect everyone to like you because you don't like everybody. And I think that's true. There's probably a number of firefighters in my department that maybe aren't a fan of me, but they would probably be okay with, they would be happy going into the fire. We're not going to have beers. We're not friends. Like we would hang out, but we have a mutual working respect for each other and being able to do the job. But I think that's okay. That's just because. You know, not every family, everyone's shiny, happy and gets along. There's so many variations of what family needs. Like you're saying, tribe is, are those people that like, okay, I align. Like we, 
the things you need, then it's like we align. Yes. And we need those people too. I think we need to recognize ourselves and others and let our students tell them. It's a different level of connection. I think both are valuable. Try, um, yeah, tribe is I think tribe hard. goes back to that, that corny, like, oh, you get me kind of thing. Yeah. And I think we could also see as tribes, there's like warring tribes, like my tribe, oh. your tribe and like the separation. But I think it more of like, like you're saying that intimate heart, like you get me kind of thing, not as in us versus them. I always think of it as an inward thing as opposed to an outward thing. Which is the, yeah, definitely the positive spin. And that's the way that I'd like to look at it as well. Yeah. And I think even with the words, like, I'm very big on words and their meaning and their impact. It's like a podcast, like. I think wording really makes a difference, right? And how you frame things. But even the idea of rogue, right? We're a rogue or a rebel or a disruptor. I think I've heard that used before. Change make. I remember posting not too long ago about how every rogue that's out drilling by themselves on the, the apparatus floor or on the training ground, they all with that they, everyone was with them. Do you know what I mean? All the rogues, it seems like a cool, edgy, outlier kind of thing, but we all do really want everyone to be rolling in the same direction and do want to feel that whole family. Like we would all prefer that if we could have it, but if you can't and you're in a crew or a department or whatever, that doesn't align with you. And from other people here, here's inside, maybe that are even informal throughout the service, that you're, you are in the right direction. You're not just an outlier because you're an asshole, <laughs> different. Um, yeah, I would say if you're an asshole, you're not an outlier, you're just an outcast. Exactly, yeah. So what I'm saying is if you know in your heart you're aligned with the right purpose and you're doing this rogue stuff because you're trying to align with the, the greater tribe of fire, trying to do the right thing. My point is that, that we'd all rather it be, we'd all rather not be rogue, put it that way. Like we'd all rather be looking around the kitchen table and everyone is aligned. That's not always the case. So I think that's why that idea exists, but we'd all prefer to be aligned with everybody. That's the better feeling. You kind of make rogue mainstream. Yeah, in a way. And I think maybe that's what we're trying to do, right? Like, I think really that's the goal with all of us that are trying to, if we feel that the ratio is off between the people that care and the people that don't, I don't, what's behind the rogue ideas, like even just speaking with Mark Van Appen, right? I'm fully evolved. That's really where that term rolled in the park sort of came, at least through for me, I saw him using that. Yeah. That idea that if we can all get enough rogues together, then eventually that becomes the culture and we want to keep this culture moving forward. Otherwise, what are you doing? You're just sitting back and doing nothing and watching the land fly to culture to change and not in a good way. Maybe we won't change it. Maybe the ratio will, there is the possibility. Are we the generation that's going to lose the fire service? Sure. That's a possibility, but. I don't think any of us want to sit back and just say we didn't try. So for me, I don't really think we have the full responsibility of changing the face of the fire service and are way too lofty. I think all you can do is even when you're mentoring and teaching people, all you can do is put information in front of them. Like other people put information in front of you and you're either going to do something with it or you're not. And it's not their responsibility to change you. There's that. That idea that if you think of how hard it is to change yourself and you realize how hard it is to change other people. So nothing that I'm doing is ever worth thinking about. Like I'm, my purpose is to change people. Who's to say that's even my place to do that. It's more of I've witnessed and seen and experienced and heard of impactful things that have resonated with me and it's changed my life. So I just, I've spoken a number of times of being echoing an amplifier. Well, I'm not looking to almost need to be the biggest name in the fire service. We just need to amplify those voices that are and just show that they are more of those voices that can agree with the those strong messages, the more we can see that they hold the way to be and they need to stay and continue. Talking, you mentioned mentoring and teaching. And I think the first time I heard from you or heard of you was you did the 50 rules for the senior firefighter. Okay. And I just, I think that I'm going to direct people obviously to your website, but this list is pretty good. Pick through it. Uh, I don't know, it was probably a couple of years back. I picked through it and I picked out some of my favorites and I, in preparation for our conversation, I went back over that list again. And I, some of them that jump out at me now because of what I'm doing on this show that focuses on mental health so much is like rule 26 is find a counselor you connect with and see them regu yeah. regularly. Is that based solely on mental health or is that a counselor in the fire department or could it be both for you? Yeah, I'd thought about it in the mental health aspect. The reason that list of rules came to be is 
I made them for myself because what I saw is I was approaching that threshold of watching a lot of the senior firefighters retire and realize I was getting the technically in those years on, that was going to be me. And then I just had to sit with that and it was frightening in one case. And it was also exciting in the other. And I had to think about what does that mean? And I've harp on this quite a bit. It's obviously I made a list, so it's important to me, but you know, we do, and this comes back to that years on the job, right? It's, I have the most years in this room or on around this department, so I'm the senior firefighter. It's not about, it has zero to do with it. It's a role. It, you don't get to name, clean that name. <laughs> no, right? you, you, someone look, you, even if someone looks up to you and goes, oh, you've been on 24 years. Oh, you're this. Or, you have no idea who I am or what I am. You haven't seen me work. You, haven't, you don't know what I'm capable of, so don't put me on a pedestal if you, if you haven't, you know, if I haven't proven anything to you and or this idea that all the pressure's on you as a rookie and as you go on or more, there's less pressure. I'm like, it's the reverse. Like rookies have zero pressure on them because they just got here. Like they, you're expected to be a good fourth class or fifth class firefighter. You're not expected to know everything of someone who's been on for 30 years. But if I screw up, there's, I've been here 24 years. I should know better. The responsibility actually increases. And then for my, the other part, just to get back to your the point of your question on May 26th there is, I've had my own mental health struggle. And one of the messages I've been trying to pass on to people is that if you wait until you're in crisis to try and find someone you align with to help you, that's the worst time to do it. Yes. You have to, because you need to talk to somebody, but you're going to be given whoever you're given and you're not, you're not at your best. You're not going to be receptive and they may rub you the wrong way. And then that just spirals you even more. But if you're in a good place and you just first get in the job, you have a doctor, you got a mechanic, you've got all these other people that you go to for things that you haven't specialized in. So why do you think you can handle your mental health and your brain all by yourself? Why wouldn't you go to someone else that, you, that can help you with that? And why not do it when you're in a good place? Because then when the stuff goes wrong or you're blowing up the team and fencing and solving problems that they come and they don't just build up and they've got incredibly difficult, untangled mess that you might not ever be able to unravel, right? So if these realizations that what does this role actually mean, if I had to set rules for myself, and again, they're ideal. It's not saying that the other day I saw you and you didn't live up to that rule. Yeah, you're right. I didn't, and I should go back to that rule and read it again and then I, and try and correct, but it's something to hold as an ideal that you're constantly able to recognize when you're off path and then recorrect and you just recorrect and recorrect. And I think that that's what that role is about. And so, then if you can pass these messages on to people coming up underneath you, then they will become senior firefighters in the true sense of the word, even faster than you did. And that's funny because the next one I had highlighted, and I'm not going to belabor the, this list because they can find the list and I know we're going to talk about something sure. different here, but I think the next one that goes along with that and I think fits very well, bookends it a little bit. How about that? That's probably a pretty good mm -hmm. term for it is rule 42. And that's that most rookies are going to bring something to the table that you can learn and grow from. So have those conversations and listen well and often. And I think that's so important because it used to be that's a rookie over there. Just sit and be quiet. And yeah, I really see it more of as relationship, right? It's a really, the more and more I sit with it, the more I'm like, it's a relationship and someone coming in, cause there's a lot of people that come in that have had incredible experience and experience is. So hold on a second here. Just had a call coming in, so I just had to hand it <laughs> on. Yeah. So it's a relationship. So yeah, the more I stick with it, the more I realize that it's a relationship and a lot of rookies do come in with incredible experience or experiences. And if we just dismiss them immediately, you will never, you may be leaving a lot on the table. Like you may be able to bring a lot to your crew or your department and you're, and you're using. And why wouldn't we want to bring on brand new people that have an incredible amount of experience and stuff to offer the team? Like, why would we want someone that's got nothing to offering? You're the only one that has stuff to offer to them. Why they even hear them? So there's going to be stuff that in this new world that they're in, that they need you. And there's probably stuff that you need them for. So I think seeing them more as real, maybe even envision hanging out with them outside of the job and because when we interact with people outside the job, we don't treat them like rookies. No. And all of a sudden they're inside a fire hall and there's this dynamic and they're supposed to be treated like as almost being human in a way. 
not that cold, but as it could be, but you know what I'm saying? It's more of a relationship. So I think you do need to listen, but they also need to listen. That's a true relationship. That's a true interaction. Well, people need to, when, it, when the right time is, when it's the right time for one or the other talk and listen, you need to respect that back and cool it. And that listening comes back to you talking about get that counselor, talk, talk to them. And you can be somewhat of a counselor to the, to that rookie as well. You can be that sounding board to say, Hey, this is what you can expect in your career. This is what giving them that advice to go find someone early to talk to. Absolutely. And everything does come down to expectations, right? Our disappointment and frustration comes down to what we expect things to be. And then they're not. And I really love like day one, when someone comes to the station and I'm going to start mentoring them or our crew is, but maybe they're allocated to me more formally uh, that they have the proper expectation of themselves. And they know what they know that they can have expectation of me. They know what I expect of them. I know, and they know what I expect of them. And as long as we set that tone from the very beginning, that's the foundation of everything. So I do tell them, like I said before, like there's, this is the actual level of expectation for you. I don't expect you to have, you show up on scene, you can solve the entire thing. That's not where you're at right now. And no one ever will be like, get it right in your head that we're, it takes not one person shows up to a fire and solve what the problem is. It takes a lot of people. So know your role, know your lane for now, and know that this is what we expect of you. And there's actually more expectation on me. Let's get that in perspective. I'm not putting myself in this place where all eyes are pointing at you. I said, a lot more eyes are looking at me because I should know better. So I think that kind of eases their mind, but it also sets up the real expectations at their feet that they can choose then to ride to. And then that sets the tone for everything, right? I'm not going to belittle you. I'm not going to ask you questions to prove that you don't know something that I do. That's just what this is about. I'm going to ask you questions. I legitimately want to know where you're at, where the gaps are, and then what do I have that I can fill the gaps in to help you grow? How do I scaffold you? How do I improve? How do I help you improve? So as long as people are coachable and they can have real conversations to be authentic and genuine, I think you can get so much done like that. And that's a real bond. That's real family. That's the brotherhood. That's the tribe. It's ironic that you go back to the saying the senior firefighter, but it's not something you can call yourself. You don't call yourself the senior firefighter. You don't, or you don't bestow that title upon yourself because if you're trying to bestow a, a title on yourself, that title doesn't belong to you. We had that discussion at work yesterday and there was some, there's some, I don't even want to call it hazing. There's just some mistreatment going on at a station that I'm well aware of and my crew's well aware of. And we had the discussion of it. And I said, if you had to call yourself an alpha male, you're not the alpha male. Perfect. <laughs> alpha males don't call themselves alpha males. Yeah. Or even in uh, the world of seeing martial arts get to like those guys, or you want to get into, into the military aspect, like the green berets or the seals, like those guys aren't looking to fight. And they're usually the calmest, nicest people because they're assured of themselves and they know that they can handle themselves and whatever comes in front of them, they're going to be able to deal with it. So they're not looking to posture. They don't need to. They're, it's self-awareness. It's self-esteem. It's self-assuredness that they know themselves and they don't need to create their ego based on who's in the room. Or create their ego on the ashes of someone they just destroyed. Exactly. Yeah. It's so the antithesis of what it's all about. And the senior firefighter role, you're right. It, it, it's bestowed on you by other people. They see you that way and not based on your years. They see you about how you behave and how you behave. is. Every, and that's not to mean that I'm grinding everything. And then Mark Lynn Abbott talks about this. You can't be, he's not fully involved every day, but over the arc of a year or a month or a week, he is involved. And I think that's that consistent. It's a consistency that the people around you see that you're not perfect, that you know, you're not perfect, that you're trying as hard as everyone else. But there's a level of effort from you to give to other people and to bring people together that, that, that's what that is about. That's that rule. And then that's where the 25 rules and training fire service training officer came from. And she goes, in that training role, it's, you're going to be in a training role. I've got 75 rules in the budget. The more roles you take on, the more rules there's going to be for you to like keep yourself aligned in the right direction. And again, that list came from speaking to a lot of people that I respect and same with the 50 rules embedded it. And how do we distill this down? And what, how do we say it very clearly? And what can we get rid of here? And what really hits home? And what does it all really mean? I think if without defining it for something to hold in your hands and look at it, 
then it's this vague thing that's floating around that anybody can grab and name itself. And so for me, it makes it real. Like, yeah, like as much as you were asking about journaling and writing things down, I may not do that as far as like my day-to-day life and my, and the jobs we go on to, but I need stuff like that where I can like pull it up and read it and go, okay, yeah, that's the reminder. I can't just snitch as easily if it's written down and shown in front of me. It's also a great way to check your ego. And that's what this job's all about. Right. That's one of their, it's such a double-edged sword, right? It's a blessing and a curse that so many people before it built this perception of, and rightly, of firefighters and what they should be. Like so many great, as, as imperfect as they were too, like there's stuff in every generation that wasn't ideal and we're doing stuff that's not ideal right now, whether we know it or not. People look back on us and go, oh man, let's go with those old school guys. They shouldn't have done this and that, but they did that. They built that. And then, like I said, I mentioned about losing the fire service. Like we can lose that. You don't, this is that hard times create soft people, right? The hard times create hard people. And right. Those hard people create soft times. Like I, I get that saying wrong every single time I say it after reading in my mind. The point being is they did all this work, right? And they created this with the public and we're just reaping the benefits of it. But that can also just go right to your head. Like, oh, all the hard work's done. It's all right. I'm just giving it. Like you're just entitled to it. You're just offered it. Like here it is. You didn't have to look for it. And I think that's when you get it back on your laurels and then you realize as things start to slow shit, you got to maintain this. This isn't just something you're given and it's just no matter what you do, you just have it. It's like you can lose it. And then so I think maybe a lot of people have to go through that experience and oh shit, I could and we could all lose this. And then you look around and like, who's going to keep maintaining it? Oh shit, it's me. <laughs> and then you have that moment like, fuck, I better do something about that. Hopefully. And then you, and that's when you start growing, growing into these roles. So I know that, that humility. I know that we're going to talk about something that, that you've got coming up. So I just want to point, point everybody to, first of all, that first list with 50 rules for the senior firefighter. And then the second one yeah. is the 25 rules for the fire service instructor. And yeah. they're, the rules are out there. He's got them on his website. It's, it is well worth the read and well worth the download to keep near and keep close so you can read them when you need to, I don't know, get yourself in check, basically. I really um, appreciate that. And I think just lastly, I'll say like when I was, looking around, I did, the first thing I did is go looking for a list, right? I went looking for who's already done that. And if they had it, what can I offer? Is this one small thing that I can add to lexicon or the breadth of all the stuff, the great stuff that's out there. And I did find a lot of lists for rookies, right? Again, all the focus is on what the rookies and expectations of rookies are. And I'm like, why are there no expectations for senior firefighters and training officers? And there should be. So hopefully, and maybe there are other lists out there and I haven't, I didn't find them and I'm the second or third or 20th person to do it. I don't know. It doesn't matter. If more people have read it, that's great. But I just thought I, I couldn't find it. So I'm like, here's what I feel like the small thing that I can offer to the information out there and hopefully it's helpful. They, maybe there are other lists out there. But well, shit, man, when I started this show this year, there's plenty of other fire podcasts. I just found it a little niche to try and to carve out for myself. And when I spoke to, I think one of the first people I spoke to about this show was uh, James Gearing behind the shield podcast. And I said, listen, this is the idea I have. And I said, what do you think? And his first response was there's always room for more and it's a good idea. So there's always room for more. Even if there are more rules out there, it doesn't matter. This is your list and there's always room for more. And if anything, it just creates more discussion. Sure. Yeah. And yeah, the more of that goodness that's out there and with the right intention, again, that it's not thirdly going to turn the tide, but it creates the environment and the opportunity for people to take it up and, and help be a part of turning the tide. I think that's what, that's more the way I see it now. It's like things that are out there that are funny, it's all, and this is the thing too, with social media and the internet, like there's no excuses anymore. So you want to learn about this job and learn what it means and learn, even write down a very minute technical skill. It's literally all there. All you have to do is go and look for it. So there's no excuses. Oh, my department didn't tell me, or, oh, I didn't know, or, and that ties into 25 rules. One of them is about removing ignorance. Like your whole job is just to remove ignorance of people not knowing something and yours too. And once everyone is aware that something exists, they can't say they didn't know. So then it's on them something about it. So I know what we wanted to talk about, what you mentioned to me was the connected warrior, correct? Yep. So what is it? Tell us. I think there's. We talk, I talked briefly about what we consider old school. And really, I want to start out there by saying, again, we have to recognize our generation right now in this fire service as we're going to be old school to somebody. And 
we can't be arrogant enough to think we have the experience of looking back on everyone that did everything wrong and now we're doing everything right. There are things right now that there's going to change in the future that they look back and go, why did those guys do that? That was stupid. So I just, I have that self-awareness of that reality. So as amazing as the people before us were, they were human too. And they were, there were some flaws. And I think I understand now based on the generation and what they grew up and yet their upbringing their and their culture that there was more of a, maybe a hardness there, a toughness, a need for stoicism mm-hmm. and a dismissal of maybe emotion. And then you tie that into how dangerous the job is and that's a reality. So it's, I think you know, my take is that they looked at the, looked at their culture, looked at the dangers of this job and thought, if we don't focus on the fact that this job is dangerous, I can kill people then people are going to get killed. Like if we have to dismiss all this softness and this is a hard job and you got to, and it's blue collar and you got to suck it up and you got to get it done. And that is true. That is a hundred percent true. But I think the missing piece we see, and if we look at maybe the way they handled it all is that because there were tools of, and awareness and training about how to be connected with yourself, connected with other people, emotions were seen as like something to push down just focus on the job and get it done that there was, and there was a, a real lean toward maybe not coping with that very well. And we saw the result of that, right? Suicides and alcoholism and anger and divorce, all the things that come with not being connected in a real way as a human and seeing yourself as a human being, seeing other people as human beings. And there was also that fear of, I think if we connected with emotionally in any way, with the people that we're trying to, to be there to help, that's going to be detrimental to us. And I guess what I'm trying to say now is what I've realized through my own experience and talking to other people as well, is that I think it's actually the opposite. I think if you see the connect, connecting with other people as a dangerous thing to you, then you push it away and you push it off and it's like a fight to keep that away. You're afraid of it. And really it's ironic that we, it's the whole, I fight what you fear and I'm a hero and I always fight things that other people are afraid of. And here we are afraid of something. And I think if you learn enough about yourself and learn enough about emotions and connecting with people that you don't need to be afraid of all that, actually connecting, you got in this job because you wanted to help people. You wanted to, you have compassion and care for people. And for me, that's not just on the fringes, like cutting the car or throwing water on fire. For me, that's like the emotional connection of being there and letting people know that it's okay, or it's going to be okay, or at least they're not alone in this terrible moment. And I've found connecting with people on that level, on this emotional level, whether they're aware of it or not in the moment. And if they're BSA, it helps me process Paul's better because I look back on these calls that are tragic and horrible and they are, and it makes me sad and frustrated sometimes. But I also know that in that moment, I was emotionally connected with them, but I was there for them. I was the person with them when their family couldn't be, that, that they would want there. So when I look back on these calls, not only do I, I do have to manage that tra- traumatic part of it, but I also have this good feeling that I did good work there. I was, I did something really meaningful. So I have that other half of that thought, that call is now two halves of a bowl. Whereas the whole call is in trauma. So I think that's what I'm trying to marry up here is that we see this pendulum swing culture and society where it was a very hard note before. And now we could say pretty clearly it gone incredibly soft the other direction. And what I'm saying is, and what I always try and find your things is where's the middle, where do we take what meaningful and beneficial from people trying to say that emotions matter and their feelings matter and they need to be validated and you're good enough in a number of ways, even though you can improve. And how do we take that? Sometimes you just got to firefighter the fuck up and get done, things done. That's now it too, right? So where's the middle on that? And, and you, I've, I've started to use the yin yang, the yin yang symbol as it's not always off around like a light switch, right? If, if you look at the yin yang symbol in the white and the black, and it's thicker on the bottom and thinner on the top, that there's always one or one more than one in the other, depending on the situation. And it's kind of like a flow. And, but there's always both. And then you also have the light and the dark and the light with those two dots. So I think this is when you open up your mind to like, oh my God, there's so much to it. And you can start diving inward into yourself and finding out how do I acknowledge the, the grit in myself and how do I also acknowledge 
fraction myself. How do I apply both in or one or the other in whatever amounts in the situation? It's also do amazing. I just, do I just need to harden up? Do I just need to harden up and get this done? You know what I mean? And address the rest of it afterwards, or do I need to be really soft and caring and warm and compassionate and comforting in this moment and leave a bit of that hardness at the door? It's amazing what happens when you do show heart, especially in those situations where a family member's panicking. It's amazing that little bit of compassion that you can show to somebody will just calm them down. They won't come to, down to level, but they'll come down from a hundred percent off the charts. And it makes that call. Yeah, that's all we want. If we put ourselves in there too, it's like, that's what you would want, right? You would want, when you feel overwhelmed, you would need that comfort. You would want, we all want that. As much as people say they don't, I don't need that. Yeah, you do. Yeah, we all like need that. that you know, it's like me saying all the rogues wish they could be part of the family. It's like all of us that say that we, we don't want emotions and we don't want to be vulnerable. We don't need comfort. We do all want that. Every single person wants that. But they like, like to admit it or not. And I think if you're approaching these calls with, I need to put up this barrier, I try to make everything I do, even firefighting related as like victim centered or patient centered, right? The person we're going to, everything we do, we should think, how does this affect the person we're going to? Is it a tactic or a skill or an approach? So really, if you're saying to yourself, I need to be disconnected so I can do my job and focus, that's totally discounting what that other, the other part of what that people you're going to help with, they need, they need the softness from you too. So really you saying that, well, I just need to shut down and put a barrier between me and them. That's not about them. That's about you not knowing how to connect with them or not wanting to, or being afraid of what's going to happen. That's about you and that's over. And that, that not knowing and not wanting to jumps out because a lot of people think that's what protects them from getting caught up in, in the emotion of the job in general. And obviously it doesn't. It, like you said, it could soften that blow a little bit even because it does add some a human interaction to it. And I think some people might think that's antithetical to what I'm trying to say, but I don't think so. I think that it normalizes what's going on a little bit instead of putting it out there as just off the charts. It's human for you and it's human for them, right? And we do, okay, we do see a volume of tragedy maybe that the general public does not. But then, okay, this ties back to having a counselor, right? So if you are connected in this way with yourself and you're self-aware and you know, you're going to be seeing a more, a higher volume of thing, then why wouldn't you want to regularly address that a little bit at a time, a little bit of time. So it's always, you're a little off balance, like a chiropractor, right? You're a little out of alignment. You go to the chiropractor and now you're back in alignment. Why wait until your back blows out and you need surgery before you start addressing this? And, oh, I need to start doing this specific exercises, right? I need to start eating this diet now because my whole health is in shambles. Like why, why didn't you address it in little pieces and little bits along the way? Why wait until it all crumbled? Like, why wouldn't we want to get to the house fire when it's just upon the stove as opposed to all floors involved? So yeah, I think, and I understand it. So maybe it's lack of understanding or lack of awareness. So then this is where you come in and I come in and there are people that are willing to say, Hey, it's another way of approaching her. And I think it. It made me a better first responder because I've had to live, I have to live it. I can't just stay it. I have to live it. If I want people to listen to me as an instructor, I have to be fit. I have to be able to do the skills that I'm teaching them. I have to, so I can be able to show people that you can be both. Like you can be soft and nurturing and caring and warm to people and you can be a hard ass. I think that one of the things that, that helped, I helped me and helped like some of the guys in the audiences is a reframing of why we're there. I spoke to his name is Robert and I, you may know him from, better from the Instagram page, Skulls for Hope. I spoke to him and he reframed it from like this bad thing. Okay. We're here when someone's dying. Why do I have to see this? Why do I have to go through this to almost the guilt that drove him to a position he didn't like to be in? And he reframed mm -hmm. it to, man, what an honor to be there and to see someone through this. If they have to go through it, it's, it's my honor to help them go through this. Even if I can't save them, I can make it better for them as it happens. I couldn't agree more. And that even ties into, I think a lot of these things we say in regards to firefighting itself and you guys are fit to fight fire was saying of, would you want you rescuing you or your family? Okay. That's a thousand percent true. Would you want you with your loved ones when they're passing on and they need warmth and comforting? Would you want you there? Could you do that? What kind of firefighter do you want with your loved ones? When you can't be there to give them the love that they need in that moment, to know that they're not alone, 
whether they're VSA or not, for me, it's an energetic thing. If you can't be there, who do you want there? Okay, so that's you. And you have, you're right, you have this one moment. You've never seen this person in your life, and you're the one walking them home. Right? And man, like, that's, it's beautiful, right? It's a legitimate privilege. And it's not always pretty, right? It's not always someone's quietly is passing and they're sleeping or happen to be in their bedroom and I'm called there. It's like, sometimes it's messy, but, and you do need to get worked out and you're going to get dirty and you need to decon emotionally and physically, but that's part of the work. Um, but yeah, you're there walking them home and if you can, even in a small moment that you were there in that way for them, like telling people that it helps you. It, even if you made this selfishly about you, it helps you so much more to do that process in the call afterwards as opposed to like ignoring it completely. And if you don't know how to do it or know how to approach it, what do you do with these firefighting skills? You're on Instagram pages and you're watching videos and you're watching skills and you're trying to obey and you're doing a different workout and you're tweaking your diet and you're taking this new supplement. Like you're all about doing all the things that physically fit for the job. And what? So then why not approach the same thing with this? And the truth is it's the foundation, this emotional maturity, what we're talking about is emotional maturity. This emotional maturity is the foundation for everything because you don't have that and get mentally sick or injured or, or then you could be physically sick and injured because of it, right? Your focus isn't there or you're foggy or you can't pull on these skills that you've been drilling on the apparatus day floor. You can't do any of that if you're an emotional man, right? No, you can't. You can't do any of it. No, if you learn how to do this job emotionally, like that is the foundation. Everything else you do is built onto that. If you want to stay in this game for a career's worth and really get the most out of it, then that's necessary. And we just can't say anybody to just do it. Like we have a responsibility. Like you are and I are, and I am in our way to add one more avenue or one more message to people about here's how you actually do it. And we're talking about death and we're talking about making it, um, dignifying it. In most cases, when I'm on scene or when you're on scene or whatever, when someone's dying, it is loud, it's chaotic, it's busy because we're doing CPR. We're doing whatever to try and, and I would say, but I would also frame it as bring these people back because if you're doing CPR, they're dead already. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, you're trying to save their life and the old saying that I keep going back to is nobody dies with dignity, but our job there is to create some sort of dignity for them. Sure. Yes, for sure. And it, you mean, some of the calls are very quiet though, too. We went to a, a, a young woman who, you know, that was palliative care at home that passed away and the family had called us. They, they, they didn't have a DNR and, and with the medics and us there, luckily the right medics were there and they're calm and warm and supportive and understanding. And we recognized what was going on and spoke to the family and didn't just rush in and start grabbing and pushing. And it could have been so much more of a traumatic like moment. Like it couldn't have been a more important moment for this family losing their young daughter. And so we, we had them and that, and the, their daughter in mind in every aspect of what we were doing. And, and it was incredibly sad. Right. We weren't awkward and afraid of that. And we invited it in and we firefightered up really like firefighter up can be that too. And, and did what was right for that family. So again, we can look back on that. And I've thought about that in like how it hurts me to see that happen. And then I've also thought about that and like, I feel very good about how we were with that family. So it helps me balance it out. So where are you taking this thought and this theory of the connected warrior? What are you doing with it? Well, even just with the list that we've talked about the 50 rules and the why, and then the nuances of each rule, you can just read the rule and take it as it is and then make your own nuances from it. But with the 50, I definitely, with the captions and the posts, I like expanded on it. There's a lot of expansion on every rule and there is for the 25 rules too. So I thought, why not? Again, like I could think people are just going to read the rules and they're not really going to want to talk about them, but I decided, why don't I just do a webinar and put it out there? And if people want to hear me expand on the why behind these things, and if it's helpful to them and they want to have a conversation, they're able to see what the uptake is and maybe that's beneficial. So I've decided to start doing those, maybe alternating month 25, the one month and the 50, the next, and then the connected warrior too. So I think you would agree, the more you teach things, like I, I just taught a skill I've taught so many times before and taught it yesterday. And as I'm teaching it, I said something in a different way and filled it in a slightly different way. I'm like, oh. Like that clicked. And so the more I teach it, the more I start tweaking 
how I teach it and it gets better and better every time. Like the 150th person I teach to do this is going to be, they're going to get way better at construction than the first person, right? So for me, it's about the more I do these talks or you and I talk about this, or I do these webinars, more I, like, so the connected words, more of like coming together of a distillation down of all the things I've learned over my career with mental health and with the job. And how do I marry these two up? And then how do I bring the message across to people where they understand it in the way that I've grown to understand it? And maybe, and then, so it will be helpful for them. So I think this is the whole point is I'll just do them and I'll go out and do talks and I'll give this new version of this message and see if it helps. And if people want me to keep doing it, I will. And I'm sure I'll keep learning from doing it every time I do it. Just like I spoke with you today, I'll probably take away a few things. Oh, I really like how I phrased that. I never thought about it that way. And I'll, I'll say it this way differently next time. And we're always looking to grow and improve. So just like you in the podcast and me and my podcast and what we're doing, I don't know where it's going, but that's not really what it's about. It's about the process, right? And it's about just doing the right thing in the moment and then putting it out there and then doing the right thing again, the right thing again, and constantly trying to improve on it. And if people resonate with it, that's great. And if they don't, that's okay. Maybe that just tells me that I have to adjust my message differently. So when is the webinar for the connected world? I did this talk. Actually, the first time I did it was at the critical painting, critical Institute stress foundation conference, like this last month. So it's my first time delivering it, but this will be the first time I've done it as a webinar. And this one's kind of special too, because Trevor Eamon, one of the, uh, the guys that actually coincidentally was one of the people that said, Hey, you should do a podcast. What I taught here is the crew class and he's battling some, some health issues and needing spinal surgery and he has to go out of the country to get it. And that's obviously a miracle. Like we do with as brothers and family with fire service, like we're, we're doing with his family, everyone's sort of rallying and wanting to support him because he wants to obviously get back to his full life and the job he loves. So this is, we could, we're all donating a little money here and there to try and help out as much as we can, as hard as that is sometimes. But I also saw this as, why don't I do two things here, right? I can deliver this as a webinar. It's $25 and, and a good friend of mine uh, and mentor, Wendy Lund, who's helped me hone this presentation for what it is, but she's going to co-deliver it with me. So on November 20th, so coming up soon from seven till nine, or we'll go longer if we need to, we're going to offer it. And then all the proceeds, everything from it, it's going to go toward his GoFundMe to help him receive the surgery that he needs. And well, then I'll do further ones down the way as well. So it's not going to be the only time I'm going to offer it. Um, and then if you can't make this one, then you can still register and donate and then I'll offer you the recording and get it. So yeah, it's kind of, this is a really important one because it's obviously to help one of our brothers out too. So if anybody else wants to help out and join in and hopefully they're going to get some benefit from hearing us talk about it now and get an idea what we're going to cover and how approach things, then that'll be great. Because that's time sensitive and I want to get that message out there. I think I'm going to rush this one to post this week and get it out there for you and get some current garner some interest and hopefully drive some people towards that webinar. And like you said, even if you can't listen at that specific time period, donate, donate and get the recorded version because it will be worth it. Following your page and listening to you, I know what you have to say is going to be worth it. And I'd like to get that out there as soon as possible. I appreciate that. Yeah, they can, yeah, they can find those two sets of rules on the web page. Like they're listed at the top of the page, just multiple calls at workspace.com and, and the registration is right at the very top. You can click on that and any web webinars I'm running will be listed there. So there will be one coming up next month for the 50 rules and obviously the one just on the 20th here on the Sunday night, Sunday night Eastern. You can, you'll see that one there too. And you can just register and pay through PayPal and get a Zoom link. That's it. And if you DM me, let me know you can't make it, then I'll just make sure you get the recording. And, and then you can read Trevor's story too. Trevor's like full background on Trevor and what he's facing is the link right beside that one. So. Everything's there. And then beyond that, I have, a, I have to update it again, but there's a resources page on that website. So all these people that I've learned from and resources I've done helpful, I have everything hyperlinked there from everything from the book, Andy, the book of Shoop and the podcasts and websites and all that that, I, that have helped me become who I am. So yeah, if you're looking for stuff to, to get involved in and keep yourself interested in the fire service, hopefully that's another avenue for you. So. I'm going to end this the way that I end it with every guest. And I have a couple of questions that I like to ask everybody and I didn't mention them to you. So I'm not sure if you're prepared for them or not, probably not, but that's okay. We'll go okay. off the cuff and see what happens. The first thing Perfect. I do is because I call the show, the things we all carry, and it's based on a book about the Vietnam war, about the things that people carried into war to, to 
to affect battle, but the, then the scars they carried out after they had that battle. I like to ask people for an everyday carry, something you have on your person all the time that if you go, if you leave the house without it, you feel naked. For everybody right now, it's their phone. That's probably what it is. And with the, that's pretty generic because it's the same as everybody. But really that's like, this is my connection. I think I've created, for me, using the social media and using this device, for a lot of good and it helps me connect with people in a really meaningful way. Yeah. I would say that's one. Yeah. I mean, there's, I've got, I've got pictures of my family and my girls. They're up in my locker. That's how I carry every day. But every time I come into work, obviously I open my locker up and there they are. So oh, yeah. that to me is pretty powerful too. And then the people that we've walked along the way, we lost a crew member not too long ago. So there's a, you know, there's a picture up relevant to him on that door too. So again, there's, they're not. That's not my everyday when I'm off duty that I see those things, but every day I come and shift and work by you somewhere. That stuff's there. So I would say that's why I do that. Right? I think that's why we all do that. Why we put our, in high school is a little different, right? We were putting on our lockers, but now I think it's a little more powerful and place for us to put these reminders of why do we do this and what's important and what do we need to keep in mind as we, we try and do good things for other people, but, and then do everything we can to learn about the job to stay safe and effectively not stay as a cheerful way. So then the final question is, um, I always ask for a book recommendation, something you're reading or have read recently, or it doesn't need to be recently either. Just something that you think will bring value to the audience. Yeah, I've got a few. I do. People have listened before. I, there's are a couple I recommend all the time. One's the L365 DAO and that LTAO and just daily meditation. It's what it says. It's 365 different references to generally things in life and maybe how Taoism looked at that. It gets, it's not a religious book. It's more of a perspective and I'm always about perspectives. And, um, another great one is about the body keep the score Yes, so from that. Oh yeah. So you know about that book. Yes. Really important. The audible is great. And obviously you can find most of these books in audible, but the body keeps the score. I think everybody in the fire service should definitely listen to that and it'll help nail some of the things down and put in perspectives in a way that we, we won't be able to. And there's a great, another great one called mental trap, the overthinker's guide to a happier life. So it's very short. And it shows these, uh, these perspectives and these mind traps that we have in our mind and where they may have come from and, and how to recognize them in yourself. So I think for me, that was a sort of self-awareness, right? Recognizing these ways I think that might not be helpful to me and how do I change those? And, and then there's a couple other ones I would just recommend one called the how to change your mind that's by Michael Pollan. And that really gets into the, these psychedelics now. Yep. I know that one too. Nothing. Yep. How beneficial they can be. And a couple others would be uh, how to do the work, Dr. Nicole LaPera. That's a powerful one about if you want to do this, when they call it doing the work, right? I think about how to become more self-aware and your happiness and be better person, better for your family. That's a great one. And then another one that's along the same line is called hard learning happiness, right? Right here. It's very science-based, right? About how we're wired for, how, what we're wired for, how we're wired for it and how you can actually adjust your wiring and reframe things. So I think I hit on those ones if I had to name a few. Those are awesome. I love all of them. A couple in there I don't know, so I'm going to have to research. I'm going to link all of those in my show notes. I'll also link your page and the link to the webinar this month, and we'll try to get some interest for you. And my, I got a small little podcast, but it's growing, and I'm trying to do what I can for everybody else as well. No, it's fantastic. I really love what you're doing. It, it, we all, everyone started as small, right? And then what is small anymore? Exactly. If you're small and you have a powerful impact for a few people, that's all that matters. So just add it and keep doing it. Don't stop. I appreciate you. Scott, I appreciate the time you've taken with us. And uh, like I said, I'll get this out this week. And uh, I hope everything goes well. And I hope you just keep doing what you're doing. Thanks, man. All right. I appreciate it. And uh, we're out. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Things We All Carry. Head over to the website, thethingsweallcarry.com, for show notes, resources, and to sign up for the newsletter. Until next week, take care of yourselves, and remember to check in on each other.